0: Welcome to the Tools for Today's Farmers podcast, brought to you by the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team. Our podcast will cover current issues in farming and will provide insight from a wide variety of experts in agriculture. Now let's get farm strong. Hello and thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Rachel Dillhoff,
1: And I'm your co-host, Abby Heidenreich.
0: Today we're happy to have Dr. Robert Gallardo here with us. Uh, Dr. Giardo is Vice President for Engagement at Purdue University, an Agricultural Economics Associate Professor, and has authored many articles, reports, and books. Um, So thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, I know I just did a very brief introduction of all the really impressive things that you currently do and have done, Um, but can you give us a little bit more information about yourself, Um, tell us about your background and maybe what your connections are with the farming or rural community?
2: Sure, thank you, Rachel, Abby, for having me today. I've completed my PhD in um, at Mississippi State University, and since the beginning of my career, I've worked with rural communities. Um, I'm not an ag expert, even though I'm an agriculture economics professor, my PhD is in public policy. There's a longer story to that. I just wanna disclaim that I'm not an ag expert in any, in any form, shape, or anything like that. Um, and i've been working with rural communities rural economic development uh rural community development regional development um uh, since my entire career uh so that's my connection with rural i'm very passionate about rural i've seen its potential i i i um know that it they have a lot of potential and so i just am passionate about that in my current role however obviously as vice president for engagement my scope has Uh, broadened. I now kind of try to understand university-wide and its impact across the state. President Chang uh, asked me to uh, serve in this role to ensure that the Purdue's Brain Trust is translated into community impacts and positive impacts. And so that's easier said than done, but that's what I'm doing now. But that's my connection or, or my background with rural is just because I started in rural Mississippi way back when, I'm not going to say the year, but it's been a couple of years.
0: That's awesome. Um, I know that you have a book, um, Responsive Countryside, the Digital Age and Rural Communities. Um, So in that, it's said to highlight a 21st century community development model that helps rural communities transition to plan for and prosper in the digital age. So this is really interesting. Now that technology is evolving, people need to catch up. And I think that sometimes that's a little harder um, in rural communities. So can you just tell me a little bit more about this book, um, what made you want to do this and, and really what that digital age means?
2: Sure. Let's rewind to the early, late 2000s, early 2010, when the first recent or the first major investment in broadband was taking place. Back then, we realized some colleagues, scholars, other folks, that it had tremendous potential for rural communities. And so through our work uh, down in Mississippi, is that, uh, or through my work, I realized quickly that there was just not an awareness of what this potential was or is, And so we had to go back to square zero and define what the digital age is to begin with the opportunities, the challenges, and so forth. And so I did a tremendous amount of engaging with rural communities in Mississippi and throughout the U.S. I've been fortunate enough to go to China, Canada, South America, and it it really just dawned on me that it was a lot, you know, they just didn't know what they didn't know. So that leads to the book. Why? Because as, if you read the book, it's very basic introductory information on what are the socioeconomic trends of rural U.S., what the digital age is, what it is not, and where those two intersect to really kind of uh, make it clear that there was potential for rural communities. Now, this all was before COVID. People, you know, were kind of on the fence Ah, uh, they were still focused on traditional manufacturing attraction and the you know the usual economic development strategies. And uh, but that's what gave that's why the book was written. The digital age really, it, there's no agreement as to when it started, but we do know that it moves fast, it disrupts, and it's creating a digital divide. And so with that, unfortunately, on some measures, rural communities are on the wrong side of the divide. And so how do we expect them to uh, prosper, uh, plan for, and, and transform when they're on the wrong side of the divide? Uh, they're gonna be you know, falling further and further behind. So that's where that book comes into play. And the reason for that is because there was a lot of work done back in the day around this issue. Uh, and then COVID hits and everything changed, right? People, uh, leaders realized that the online world was not only for Facebook or Netflix, which is actually comments I got constantly. Um, And so they realized, oh, wow, there is potential here. I mean, not everybody But I did run into a couple of communities that told me, no, we're not going that route just because, you know, Facebook and Netflix and stuff like that. And so COVID, I, I think, helped accelerate the awareness piece, like at least for 10 years. I mean, it just leapfrogged us 10 years of work of awareness. And so now becomes a question of what actually is the digital divide now that it's on people's radar. But more importantly, what can be done about it? And even more importantly, what role can uh, a land grant play?
1: Definitely. And I know that you've been working extensively with Purdue to promote broadband and broadband access in Indiana specifically. Why is this initiative so important? What is what is the goal of the initiative that Purdue and you with Purdue are, are promoting?
2: Sure. So the Purdue broadband team was something uh, President Chang um, asked me as a digital inclusion uh, uh, professional to, to come up with a way of what Purdue could do. Because Purdue does not build broadband, we are not in the infrastructure building business. And so the Purdue broadband team is really all about making sure that information and resources that already exist that people are aware of these resources, but more importantly, they hear it from people they trust because there's so much going on online that people, it may be legit, but people just may be hesitant, right? So, but what happens if it comes from a Purdue student, which happens to be your son or your daughter or your granddaughter or whatever the case may be, what happens if it comes from a Purdue alumni? What happens if it comes from Purdue personnel, extension personnel, or what happens if it comes from a 4-Her, right? Going to mommy and Daddy saying, Hey, did you know about these resources? And so that's really the ultimate objective, Abby, is that ironically we're leveraging word of mouth to address a digital divide.
0: That's really interesting that that you say that, um, especially the the ties from the younger group to telling the older generation their parents and everything about that because you hear about a lot of people being stuck in their ways uh so that that is a great approach for that um and then kind of going back to the that digital divide a lot of people think well what's in it for me you know why why should i care about this relating it specifically to farmers and farming operations um, what is the issue with lack of broadband, lack of access, and what? how does that impact positively or negatively these farmers and farming operations?
2: Well, farmers have always been early adopters of technology, I mean, since forever. And it's not the exception with broadband. There's a lot of precision ag uh, techniques that have been going on for a while now. And a lot of farmers are jumping more and more on board, but they realize that they may buy a combine that has all the bells and whistles, but they can fully utilize that just because there's no connectivity in the field. So here, I think we have to distinguish between the farmstead, the home, right, Uh, may have internet access, but then the field does not. And as Precision Ag continues to develop uh, these digital agriculture applications, drones, and all these other things that are starting to flourish—it's uh, critical to have that connectivity. It doesn't have to be ultra fast, specifically out in the fields, and if especially if you're going to be moving, uh, just you know, sensor data and stuff like that. It doesn't have to be ultra fast. However, what happens if you start managing? Uh, or generating a lot of data through drones and mapping and other stuff. The other issue that we're finding is it has to be as close to real time as possible, especially, for example, when you're out in the market uh, or or when you're, uh, you know, dealing with weather. Uh, so there's different phases or layers to this, but that's the connection to farmers is they have always been early adopters. The industry is changing just like everything else, right? It's digitizing. But what happens if you don't have the connectivity, right? That's why we have to make sure that specifically for farmers, that they have that connectivity, which a bunch of applications is built on top of to make sure that they continue to be competitive and and, and do what they, what they like
1: to do. Absolutely. I think that's such an important point because we have transitioned so much into that precision agriculture realm. Um, there's so much technology that's out there every single company or organization in agriculture now has an app, has you know some kind of a internet-based system. You have Climate View, you've got all kinds of different, like, you know, just applications that you can search your weather information. You can do commodity trading from anywhere. You can do all of these different things. And if you don't have broadband access, having that built into your farming operation is a challenge in itself. But not only the challenge of literal broadband access, it's having the quality of broadband access that allows you to actually function at at an efficient level. We have all of these RTK systems, we have satellite, we have all of the the globes on top of our equipment, and we have so many different features that are built into equipment anymore and additions to our implements and, you know, additional features that can be added onto equipment that utilize satellite technology, internet technology, that utilize all of these different things that have really only come about in the, in the past, you know, decade um, or longer. And I think it's such an important thing because if we are truly looking to the future of agriculture, we have to be aware of that. And as a part of that, the rural community is just that its role. And so when we have a lack of quality broadband access, we inhibit ourselves from being as efficient as we possibly can. So when we have all of these different farming operations that want to be on the cutting edge, they have to really work hard to make sure that they have the broadband you know, speeds to be able to sustain all of that. It's bigger than Netflix. Like you said earlier, it's bigger than that. Um, we're not watching Netflix in the cab. I mean, some some people probably are because, you know, with auto steer and everything else, you kind of can now. But we are looking at our apps and we are tracking all of our efficiencies across the field in real time. So much more than what we ever have. We've got autonomous equipment. We can't have lagging, buffering broadband speeds with autonomous equipment. That's, you know, hundreds and thousands of thousands and you know millions of dollars out there across the field that you've got and if you start buffering you know what happens there so it's definitely an important topic and it's something that applies to rural america way more than what rural america actually thinks that it does i yeah. think a lot of times we get rural americans and farmers especially that think, oh i don't need broadband i don't need internet i've got local tv and that's all i need that may be true as far as entertainment purposes, but for you to get your emails, for you to get all of your you know, information that you're looking for on a daily basis, we can no longer rely on the technology of the past when we're dealing with a world that's in the present day and in the future.
2: And to follow up on that, Abby, you touched on a very important point, which leads me back to the PBT team, is that uh, the the concept of the digital divide has evolved over time. When the uh, when the term was coined back in the mid-90s, it was a binary yes, no. Do you have access to devices? Do you have access to the Internet? Uh, now, obviously, under there, can you afford it, et cetera, et cetera. But then uh, the second level of, of the digital divide is Internet use, right? Um, how are you using the Internet? Why are you using it the way you're using it? And what are the barriers for you to not use it like you're supposed to be using it more on the productivity side of things, which leads to the third level of understanding this concept, which is the outcomes, the economic, social, political outcomes of that use. So you can go back and then but when you get into that binary piece and that Internet use, in between is a uh, people realize it's not enough. What I have is not enough. It goes down with a storm. I don't have line of sight. I burn through my data plan rather quickly. And so that's really an issue now that a lot of folks are understanding is, wait a minute, I I, I do have access, but it's not sufficient, which leads to the PBT, especially because we have a small window to make sure that the data the map which will decide where 868 million dollars that are coming to indiana's can go because of broadband we need to make sure that not only the yes no is there but also the quality piece right the does it fulfill my needs and so this is yes. a once in a lifetime opportunity and we have to get that map as it's not going to be perfect but we have to get it as perfect as possible
1: Absolutely. And I think I want to jump in one, want to tie in one more thing before we go into that, the the money spending and the map that we're we're going to discuss in just a second. I want to go back to kind of the beginning of, of that, what you just said there, when you don't have the access or you don't have the quality of access, it becomes an issue and it becomes a stressor. And as we are the, the farm stress team, we talk about mental health a lot. We talk about um, impacts and things like that on farming operations. And I think this ties into that conversation because we have so many mental health opportunities that are built on broadband, that are built on you know telehealth and digital access and you know the 988 hotline, we have all these things. But if you don't have broadband access, your access to mental health care along with regular health care, um, but your access to mental health resources is limited. So it's definitely important that we focus on getting Internet access to those, you know, broadband deserts, I guess, if you want to call them that, because those are the people who are really, really struggling with Mm -hmm. getting access to telehealth and getting access to mental health you know, resources that they don't have access to in a lot of different ways. So I wanted to definitely touch on that and make sure that we tie in the mental health aspect, because it's such an important key piece of that. That digital divide and that technology.
2: Yeah, and that's another thing that COVID brought and shed a very bright light on, right? Um, that it's not Netflix. And oh my, if we have time, I've got a couple of stories about that argument back in the day. It still happens not as frequently, but um, it's all about that quality of life. At the end of the day is your quality of life, right? I don't think that it's right that some people Some people make a conscious choice not to participate online, right? There are certain cultural, religious groups that say I'm out. That's totally fine. But those that want to be part of it but can't be part of it, then their quality of life is affected, right? On multiple fronts, Uh, especially health, like COVID showed, right? There are now studies that show, controlling by other factors, that the less internet you had, the COVID mortality was higher, controlling for a bunch of other factors. So you, you, that that comment is is spot on yes
0: that's a really interesting point uh i didn't think about it like that and i and i'm sure maybe a lot of our listeners might not either uh so that's just a, a nice thing to think about and um i'm going to shift gears just a little bit hearing you talk about the broadband and internet and everything um my old house in indiana we were very rural and we would get our internet it would somehow bounce off a, a satellite onto a silo a couple miles away, and then we would get internet like that. And I know we weren't alone. Um, and you brought up the point of there's the quality, not just the ability to get it, but the quality of it, which is very important to people listening. Maybe they're they're listening. Um, but again, like you've mentioned, you and Abby have talked about it's the quality isn't there. So if I am somebody listening to this, and I'm hearing wow there is a potential for me to have better access to broadband um what would i need to do or what's my first step
2: so the the resources existing resources that the pbt is spreading the word on is a couple of them one is the fcc broadband map um and you can do a quick google or search it or access it on your phone you don't have to have home internet to access you can do it on your phone and what that a website does, It's you can type your address and it'll show you your home, what's called a broadband serviceable location or BSL, it'll show it there. And then it'll show uh, if it is served or unserved and I'm gonna get into that later on, but it, it'll just tell you who the providers are supposedly because it's provider driven, the data is provided by providers. And so you can then go, you know what, two things, My home is actually on the other side of the road. It's not on that side, but on this side. So you can go in and file a location challenge. You can go and say, you know what? My road, my home is actually over here or my farm or whatever. The second thing is you can say, well, those service providers, they say they offer those services, but I've called them, I emailed them. I'm seeing on their website, they don't actually offer that. So you can then challenge the availability, right? You can go into and say, wait a minute. If you have a screenshot of their website that actually shows your address and that they didn't have that plan, but yet the FCC map says they do, that's very strong evidence for the FCC to then go, oh, actually, you know what, Provider A, you're out because we have evidence. So we need to do that. And it it requires everybody doing their part. The system was designed for individuals to go in there. We can't do a bulk review, right? We tried. We can't. And so it's up to the individuals, right? So that's why the PBT is letting people know what they may not know and that it is a legit effort. So that's resource number one, uh, Rachel. Resource number two, if you do not have internet, you can go to connectinindiana.com and you can text the number and say, I don't have internet at this address. If you do have internet, Abby, but it's not the best, you need to conduct speed tests. And so you go in there and it'll ask a couple questions because here's a, we have to be perfectly fair and clear that speed tests are not the perfect metric either. But this platform will ask some questions to get at the gist of is it or is it not your actual connection that's causing this slow internet. So go and do speed tests. And what I tell people is they're free. I need you to do as many as you can over time, starting now and up through March. So take a break on Christmas, maybe, but just do as many as you can. And the system will clock on the back end. It'll say, this is your address when you go there for the first time. Yes, you confirm, and it'll then clock that data for that address. Why? Because Uh, Sometime in the spring, I don't want to put a date on this because it's not under my control and I don't want to confuse folks, but sometime in the spring is that the state will be able to go at the FCC map and say, you know what, Rachel's house, Abby's house, you know, Zoe's house actually are unserved because we have speed tests that say that they don't have this minimum service the state will be able, I oversimplified, it's not gonna be that easy, but you know what, it's just the concept of the state will be able to challenge what the FCC has. And how are they gonna do that? With speed tests. And so we need those speed tests. And if you can, uh, you know, you can practice right now, but definitely in January and February, we need as many speed tests as possible uh, to for that to happen. Third resource, Rachel, you can go Google Indiana Connectivity Program. That's a state program, which is very innovative, by the way. Um, And that one allows Hoosiers to go to that website or call a number and say, I don't have internet. Can you please add my address to this? You can register for that program. Or you can say, I have internet, but it's not the best. I want better internet. And so this jumpstarts or kickstarts a process that it's about 90 days long, where then the address is put in there, providers go in and see who registered, they can challenge, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, if your address makes it to the end of the process, then providers can go in and bid, and those that win the bid to service your home will get tax money. Indiana take tax dollars to do that. The innovative piece, Rachel, is that it's initiated by the consumer, not the provider. So that's a very small change, but a very, very important change uh, when it comes to hey, I don't I don't have it or I do have it, but it's not the best. <laughs> now, neither of these will guarantee any type of service. So before I forget ladies and and Brian too, um, we need to make sure that people understand that Purdue is not building any broadband, it's not guaranteeing any service, and we do not control at all the outcome of the speed test, of the FCC challenge, or of the ICP, right? The Indiana Connectivity Program.
1: I think that's super important because uh, we are just the messengers. Absolutely. Yes. At this point. Yes. <laughs> uh, so often we are that in extension. So yes. it's, uh, it's definitely important to, to note that we are the messengers. Now, what is the URL that... People can find those speed tests at
2: ConnectingIndiana.com.
1: So ConnectingIndiana.com. And for those of you who utilize the internet, which most of you do because you're listening to a podcast, you can bookmark that website so that you can easily return to it and continue your speed tests over and over again. Um, Now, one point I do want to make to kind of drive this point home a little bit is that this podcast is entirely dependent on broadband access and quality broadband connection because we record this podcast via Zoom. Uh, Rachel is not in the same building or room as I am, um, and none of those who are recording and editing this podcast are in the same location at all. So really, we're not even in the same state. Yeah, that's right. Rachel lives in, uh, in right into Ohio. But it's very important that we have quality broadband connection so that we're able to produce and bring this podcast to you. This is just one way that we as agriculturalists are impacted by quality broadband connectivity. If we don't have good connection, our podcast cuts out and gets really staticky. And it sounds like that all the time because there's jumps and there's buffers and there's all kinds of things in the the connection. Um, we have loss of signal and we have... Um, all kinds of things that really depend on that that broadband connectivity and the quality of that connection. So I wanted to make a point that you're listening to this podcast entirely because we happen to find locations that have good broadband access. And there are places that I will not record this podcast. I will not go to because I don't have good broadband access. So I will definitely be doing some speed tests in those locations and recording those on the FCC map. Definitely important for all of our listeners to be aware of because those of you who are listening to podcasts tend to be early adopters for a lot of technologies. And if you're listening to a podcast and you can figure out how to do that, you can certainly do a speed test. They're very simple and easy to do. And, you know, it's something that you can do to help make the world and the agricultural community a better place. Definitely want to make sure that everybody knows where to go to find that information. Roberto, can you give us um, one more time all of that information, the websites and where they can find it?
2: Yes. Um, So the speed test is connectingindiana.com. Those will be captured by the state in a data set. It'll ask you some questions if you're wirelessly connected or wired connected to the router, blah, blah, blah. It gets a little bit technical to my, you know, to my preference, but it is what it is uh but please conduct as many as you can the other one is the fcc broadband map i don't know the exact url but it'll pop up if you google it that way and then you can type in your address and check that out and the other one is the indiana connectivity program that's part that's managed by the indiana office of community and rural affairs Uh, that's another resource that you may want to take a look at and then i forgot one at the beginning uh, abby called the affordable connectivity program which is a subsidy For those that may not be able to afford the internet, uh, you can Google that FCC Affordable Connectivity Program. You can sign up, and then it it, again kick uh, jump starts a process. Um, it, It will not guarantee you'll get the subsidy, but at least you need to register if you're interested.
0: Thank you so much. And I I'm the type of person that if I'm doing all these speed tests and all that. I wanna know when my efforts might pay off. And I know you mentioned around March. Um, so those listening that are, are doing all these speed tests and wanna see what's gonna happen, um, would you say that potential changes would be around spring or what What can people expect?
2: That's a great question. Thank you, Rachel, for bringing that up. Um, so uh, the what I believe it's the state challenge process will happen in the spring. Again, I don't know the exact date, But do do complete your speed test, please. Now, when is all this going to build out, and when will I have fast internet? Unfortunately, the answer is we don't know, and why? It's because once that challenge process by the state takes place, there's other process or steps that need to be in place before the money starts flowing into the state, and then from there, you have to wait until it's being built, right, or or it's built. So. Not to be here, uh, uh, you know, busting any bubbles or anything like that, but it's really going to be, if you're lucky, maybe at the end of next year, you may have Internet. uh, uh, But I would be a lot more conservative and cautious and maybe even until 2025. I know that people out there might be desperate for Internet. But don't not forget that this is a lengthy process. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of accountability involved. There's a lot of rules involved. But the first step is get your data there. Get it right. Help the state with speed tests, Sign up for these other process programs, et cetera. That's for the federal program, Rachel, which is called BEAD. Uh, But then the Indiana Connectivity Program, now that one, if you sign up, at, like I said, every 90 my, and every ninety days, the, the process restarts. And then from there, providers have about nine months to build whatever they said they were gonna build. So then again, I wish it was happening tomorrow, it's not. On the federal side, I would be surprised if any construction is done by the summer of 2025. And on the state side, on the ICP, depending on when you get on the queue, And when, if you're bidded successfully, and then all things roll down from there.
1: A true government project. (laughs) All right. So thank you again, Dr. Guiardo. And thank you all for listening to the tools for today's farmer podcast. If you would like more information about the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team, you can go to extension.purdue.edu slash farmstress, or you can find us on Facebook as the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team. We use the hashtag FarmStrong on all our posts to emphasize that the agriculture community is resilient and is strong enough to overcome anything that comes their way. Share your story of overcoming stress on social media using the hashtag FarmStrong. We're your hosts, Rachel Dilhoff and Abby Heidenwright. Thanks for joining us.